Good morning. That was not great. Good morning. Um, that was way better. Thank you. Um, it's at least fake being excited, right? You got to get something there. Uh, let's pray real quick because that was a lot. Father God, this morning we thank you and we just believe you for big things. God, we thank you, um, God, that you've continued just uh, um, to, to build your kingdom in this place. And God, we get to be part of that. God, we're not doing anything. We don't have the secret or the magic or the knowledge. We just... Uh, believe that you're a big God and you do big things. And uh, God, we, we want to be part of that. And um, God, we know that this is, um, this is a step. Uh, it's a step in faith because um, God, that's some money on the table. Um, and um, God, we just, um, we just believe that you're going to do a thing and we want to be part of it. So God, this morning... Um, kind of shifting from that, because that's tomorrow and this is today, um, we want to see you do a thing in this place. Um, God, that's not the, the message this morning, that's not the hope this morning, that's, that's a celebration, but it's just a building, it's materials made by man, and God, we're looking for something built by God this morning. And um, God, we're just praying this morning that you would move in this place in such a way that we don't have to leave and wonder, did God show up? Um, but we can just see it all over the place. There's no denying um, God moved in this place today and he changed lives, even mine. Um, so God, this morning, we're just praying that as we look into your word, God, that um, you'll just speak and um, God, that you'll just say what you want to say and God, beyond that, that you will make us receptive because the word is clear that there is an enemy that doesn't want us to hear from God or see God or, or, or experience God or give our life to God. He's fighting um, against what you're doing. Um, but the truth is, God, you're so much bigger. Um, and God, it's not, even, um, it's not even a contest this morning. So God, we're just praying for grace that you would open eyes and ears and hearts this morning that we can meet with you. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Good morning. Um, man, so excited about uh, this word, so excited about being with you guys. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Jeremiah again. I know it's weird, right? Like twice now in two weeks, Jeremiah um, just flipped past Psalms and it's in there somewhere. Oh, man. Um, so last week uh, was the first week of the new year, and um, as we were kind of coming towards that day, I was praying, God, what, what do you want to say to us? Because I love kind of that new year. Everybody's ready for a new start. Like everybody's like, man, I want something to happen this year that's different from last year. And, and, and even in the church, like I can come around that idea. God makes things new all the time, and, and we need a new direction and, and a new idea we we constantly need new vision because we forget right like we we hear something and then we leave and we're like nah did God really speak like did God really do a thing or did I just feel like a thing um and so often we we hear the word of God and we leave very unchanged and anyway I was praying God what would you say to us and um, last week we talked a lot about the source and the substance of God and anchoring ourselves deep in in that that we, we can have a source that goes beyond our circumstances, if you know what I mean. Like, we, we don't live based off, like, is today a good day or is today not a good day? But we live based off something that has a little more um, weight to it, right? 
Because see, the reality of it is circumstances change every day and, and usually not always good, right? I don't know about you, but every day I've ever had has not been a good day. I'm 32 years on this rock now, and, and, and I, I would say probably that I would say there have been more bad days than good. And I know maybe you're like, well, that's pessimistic, but I think we tend to we tend to remember what we're living in right now. And I'm in a, I'm in a great day today. You know, it's not been very long. I've been here most of the day. Um, but tomorrow and after we leave this place, world is going to happen, and it's a fallen place, and it's not what God meant for it to be, and you deal with fallen people, and, and let's just be honest, there's a lot of people that tick us off and give us bad days and a lot of circumstances that are not great, and if I had to live off circumstances, I would live a pretty miserable life, I'll just be honest, I'd live um, depressed and kind of downheartened a lot of times because there's just so much in the world that you're like, man, what's going on here? But God's given us this ability as as his people to anchor ourselves in something that doesn't just shift and flip-flop every day, something that's constant, and and that's the source and the substance of God. I I thought, okay, we're done with that. Let's go on to a new thing, and eventually we'll get to a new thing. But, like, this is really the only thing um, in, in the Bible, right? Like, we, we had this source and substance. We were created to live in it. We were created to live in the garden with this God, and we separated ourselves from that. We decided something else was more valuable than God, and we went after that, and we figured out that anything else is death. It's reality, right? Talked about the desert tree. <laughs> we, we think that we're in a great place, but really, like anything else, is just not as good as being planted beside that stream and kicked out of the garden, separated from God, and the whole rest of the book is pretty much God inviting us back into that substance and source of God and us choosing something else most of the time. And this week, we're going to be back in Jeremiah. Um, I have comments on Jeremiah, but I'll keep them to myself. Um, not probably my favorite book in the, in the Bible, just to be honest. Am I allowed to say that? I'm going to say that. Um, it's like better than Leviticus, right? But it's, you look at Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is kind of a depressing book because Jeremiah, this book is about the ministry of Jeremiah, and pretty much the whole ministry of Jeremiah was a ministry of judgment. He was saying, hey, you guys have left God, and you've, he's done all these amazing things. There's this living God who has called you out. He brought you out of Egypt. He led you across uh, this Red Sea on dry ground. He let you follow him around as he was this tornado of fire and smoke. Like, that's that God. He, he led you across the dry ground again as you crossed the Jordan, brought you into the promised land, this land as described flowing with like milk and honey, this amazing, productive place, like probably the best land, right, on the planet. And you got there, and you left him. And you exchanged this living God who, by the way, all the nations feared for the gods of the other nations, really, who nobody feared. You traded this living, breathing God for gods made with rocks and sticks that didn't have hands and didn't have eyes and didn't have ears, couldn't move see actor here what a pitiful thing and because you've done that um judgment's coming that was like the whole book of jeremiah until you get to the part where like judgment comes right like we know that he said it like a million times like 
turn back to God, leave your idols, and a million times the answer was no, and then judgment came. Uh, it's a depressing book, right? Like anybody's like, man, I just I want to go home and read that. It's amazing. I, I love Judges. It's great. There's like battles and God's doing amazing things. And then you get to Jeremiah and you're like, mm. the Psalms, right? Like happy, like, whoo, these are the Psalms. These are worship songs. This is amazing. And then you get to Jeremiah and you're like, because mm. we don't want to hear about the God who performs judgment, right? We just want to hear about the good, loving, amazing God. It's the same God, by the way. This whole book was written to draw people back that just weren't willing to come back. And God over and over and over again speaks, leave these fake gods and come back to me. It's mercy when, when God shows us, right, or the error of our ways. When God says, hey, you're screwing it up. That's, that's mercy because God is not a condemner. He's a corrector. God's not there just to poke at your wound and be like, you're an idiot, you're an idiot, you're an idiot, you're an idiot. That's another guy. That's the enemy. God's there to say, hey, you're wounded. But if I'll point out your wound, I'll fix your wound. That's the God that we serve, and that's the God we see even in Jeremiah. And this morning, we're starting in chapter 2. <laughs> and he says, the word of the Lord came to me. This is Jeremiah. And this is what that word said. Go and announce directly to Jerusalem that this is what the Lord says. God shows up to Jeremiah and he says, hey, I'm sending you to Jerusalem. That, that hit me kind of strange yesterday because Jerusalem is like the capital city of God, right? Like Jerusalem is the religious center of like the world. Jerusalem is where the temple of God is. Uh, there's this um, temple that the presence of God actually dwells in and, and you come here and you bring sacrifices and there's one man one time a year that can go into the actual presence of God. This is like the place where it all goes down and what that means is the people in Jerusalem in theory are the most religious people on the planet. Right, we have the capital city of God, temple in that and then the people surrounding that are like so religious. And he sends his prophet to the most religious place he can find, Jerusalem, to speak to these people. Like, this is not a, a, a book or a letter or a prophecy to, to just the people, right? Let me go get the pagans. Let me go get the people that don't believe. Let me go get all those that are far. This is a, a, a prophecy to the people who really, or a word from God for the people who really should be near God. And this is what he says. I remember the loyalty of your youth he says, I remember how loyal you used to be. Your love as a bride, he says, you used to love me like a, like a bride loves her husband. And how you used to follow me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Now this is this picture of, you'd even follow me into the hard places, right? This desert place, this place that, you, you know, it's not going to be a pleasant place to be, like the, the tree in the desert. You used to. He says, Israel was holy to the Lord. What he's saying is, you used to be set apart for me. You used to be reserved for me. You used to be completely mine. And then he says, the first fruits of the harvest. Now, first fruits is like the, the, the first, it's exactly what it says, right? The first fruits that would come. It's this idea that there's more to follow, but you are what I picked first. That was you. 
All who ate it found themselves guilty. Disaster came on them. What he's saying is, like, I fought for you. Somebody that went to, meant to destroy you, like, I, I, would, I would fight for you. This is the Lord's declaration. So he sends Jeremiah to this religious place full of religious people, and he brings a message of, you used to. You used to follow me. You used to be loyal. I remember it. Do you remember it? Do you remember when you were in love with me? Is, is what he's saying to these people. So let's look back. I'm, I'm the same God then that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the same God that led you out, out across the Red Sea on dry land. I led you through the wilderness. I led you into the promised land. And when, when all that was happening, remember, like I was, I was the God that you followed. You identified yourself by me. You used to. Now that's like to me like such a such a sad message, right? Like I don't, I don't want to be this. Like right, like if God just walked up in the room today and he was like, "Hey, I just I just want to bring you back. Remember when the good old days were happening?" Like the good old days implies that today is not as good as those days, right? That's what God's saying. You remember the good old days when you used to be about me, like you used to love me, you used to want me, you used to used to be close to me. Now, what if like God rolled up in here today and he's like, let's just evaluate, right? Like where you're at today, was there a time before that you were closer to God than you are today? If so, like isn't that sad? Shouldn't the progression be always forward? Shouldn't we always be going toward God, not away from God? See, because the reality of it is if, if there is a used to, I used to be close to God. I used to do all these things. I used to be so caught up in him. I used to be in love with him. It means that something changed. And if God's bringing the message, it probably wasn't God. Right? Like we don't have to go to God. And we, we used to be so close to you. Where did you go? It's not what Jeremiah's doing. He's sent from God to the people to say, used to be so close to me, where did you go? Where'd you go? And then he says this, hear the word of the Lord, thus saith the Lord. Like we talked about last week, 157 times in this book alone, God reaches out to these people, like he sends this man to say to these people, come back, come back, come back. See, we can't come back if we don't know we used to be there. That's like step one. You can't go back to something you've never been to. So if we're lost, this is probably not like as much for us today. But these are a people that know God or used to know God. There was some point in their existence that they were about God and now they're not. And he's inviting them back into that. Thus saith the Lord. This is what God says. Hear it. Hear the word of the Lord, house of Jacob, and all families of the household of Israel. Here is what the Lord says. Not what Jeremiah says or what Brad says, but what, what God says. This is not some guy's opinion. It's the voice of God to them and to us this morning. And here's what he says. What fault did your fathers find in me that they went so far from me? What I do is what he's saying. What, 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 what I do, where did I fail? Where, where did I leave? Like, what's, what's the issue? What fault did your fathers find in me that they went so far from me and followed worthless idols? 
Not only did they leave me, they exchanged me is what he's saying. And they didn't exchange, it's not like an even exchange where it's like, hey, I had this amazing God and I left this amazing God and went to this other amazing God. It's this issue, it's this idea of I had this amazing God and I left him for something less, something worthless, something that has no substance and source. I, I left him, this God who was living and breathing and who had the ability to act and speak and to hear and, and I exchanged him for like a rock. A carved image, a man-made thing, something less than God. And I know we hear that, and you're like, well, what's that have to do with me? Um, we have idols today. Yeah. Reality. Yeah. Message doesn't happen a lot in the church, right? Like, right? Because we're like, well, you come to church, we're preach, preaching to the choir. No, this is, a pe- this is a message from God to religious people. And if they had idols, most religious people on the planet, right, they wore the religious clothes all the time. They said the religious things all the time. They got up and they said a prayer every morning that, like, everybody that was religious would repeat. They went to the temple. They were just like us, religion-wise, and maybe even in a greater way than that. Because these were people that God called out for his name, and they kind of decided he wasn't that big of a deal and exchanged that living, breathing God for something less Anything we put before God is an idol. You may not have like a little idol in your house. There may not be some like golden calf in your house, but maybe it comes in a square rectangle. Maybe it comes in the image of a person because maybe it is a person. Maybe it comes in the image of you. We all have idols. And he looks at these people and he says, what, what, what was wrong with me? What was wrong with me that your fathers who used to follow me went so far from me, exchanged the living, breathing God for something less, and became, listen to this, worthless themselves? And we hear that and we're like, anger, God, judgment. uh." This is not what he's saying. You cannot live a life that's valuable apart from God. The reality today, we are all dust and we're all going back to dust. Right? God is clear on what we're made of. We may think we're great. We like to get tan and we like to get buff and we like to fix our hair and we like to put makeup on because it makes us feel good. And I'm not saying don't do that. But at the end of the day, we're painting dust. All of us are going to go back into the ground. We're going to decay. And apart from God, we are just that, flesh and bone meant for the grave. And these people had separated themselves from God and he said, you're living worthless lives. Your, your people, they stopped asking, where is the Lord? And then he goes on this list and reminds them everything that this God has done. He says, they stopped asking, where is the Lord? They, they quit seeking me, who, who brought us from the land of Egypt. I did that. Who led us through the wilderness. I did that. Through, through the land of deserts and ravines. I did that. Through the land of drought and darkness. I did that. A land no one traveled through and where no one lived. That was God. He says, this is what I've done. What have your rocks done, right? Like, this is, this is me. I have a list of, of my faithfulness. What have they done? Uh, I brought you to a fertile land to eat its fruit and bounty, but after you entered it, you defiled my land. I brought you out of all this and into something great, and yeah, you wrecked it. You made my inheritance detestable. Then he goes in eight and he says, the priest quit asking, where is the Lord? Isn't that crazy? 
the, the priest quit asking. He's not even talking about the people right now. Like these are the, the people that are supposed to lead the people to God. They're supposed to seek God and lead the people to seek God. And he says, these people, your priests, they, they quit asking, where is the Lord? They quit seeking God. He goes on, he says, the experts in the law no longer knew me. They knew the scriptures, but they didn't know me, right? He didn't say they quit being experts in the law, did they? He didn't say they quit being priests, did they? He didn't say any of that. He says, oh yeah, they're experts in the law. They've got it memorized. They, they think they're living it, but, but they don't know me. In other words, it's very possible to know the words on the page, but not the God who breathed the words. It's very possible to, to walk into a building and say we're seeking God, yet never find God. And the rulers rebelled against me, the people who were supposed to lead the people to follow God, led the people in rebellion against God, is what he's saying. These rulers had become people who didn't say, hey, we're going to follow God, this is the law of God, this is what God says, let's seek God together, that's what it was originally. They became people who said, let's set up idols Let's build poles and worship around the poles, right? Let's, let's come around these, these fake gods. And they led the people's hearts in rebellion against God. They pro- they, the prophets prophesied to Baal. The people who were supposed to be the mouthpiece of God were the mouthpiece of these idols. And it says they followed useless idols. This is the state of Israel at this moment. God is the same God. He's not changed. He's not went anywhere. He's, he's not become flawed. He's not left them. It's them who have left God. And they wonder, like, right, why is everything not going well? Because they left God, not God left them. We see a people here that I think we would hear this and we would think, oh, these people, they've lost their religious activities around God. No. Can I just say to you, Jerusalem was still burning hot with religious activity. Temple still open. Yes. Sacrifices still happening. Priests are still there. Scribes, people that know the law, they're still there. They have religion, but there's no source and substance to their religion. They're doing all the right things, but they've left God. And they've tacked all these other things on that they live their life around as they come to the temple. They're following stuff, it's just not God. They might still sing songs to God and come to the temple of God and bring sacrifices to God, but their trust is in something else. You look at that and you're like, well, I don't understand that. They've exchanged the living God for powerless gods. And we see it all day long. Because if we follow a power, we'd rather have a powerless God, really. Because if we follow a powerless God, then there's no God that has power over us. We can do what we want. We can live how we want. The little statue bull bail wasn't coming to do anything about it. And this is what God says in 9. Therefore, I will bring a case against you. Because of this, let's go to court. This is the Lord's declaration. I will bring a case against your children's children 
didn't mean to say this, but man, it matters how we follow God because it doesn't only affect us. You don't follow God, don't expect your children to. You come to church, right? You do the things, they won't. You either follow God or expect your children to not. That's, that's what he's saying, right? I'm going to bring a case against not only you, but your children's children. It's going to trickle down. He says, in 10, cross over to Cyprus and take a look. Now, Cyprus is a pagan nation, not following God. They have gods, but it ain't God. Send someone to Keter and consider carefully. See if there has ever been anything like this. That's what God's saying to these people. This is crazy. Go, go search in any of these pagan nations and see if there's anything like what's happening in Israel right now. What he's saying is these pagan nations are more faithful to their false gods than you are to your real God. They, they, they believe so strongly it affects their lives in, in a myth but here's the living God who has a track record of faithfulness and you're just apathetic and don't care? And then he says this in 11, has a nation ever exchanged its gods? Has this ever happened before? And then some editorial notes, they weren't even gods. Useless idols. No substance, no source. But they believe so strongly in that rock that's been carved into a gopher that they live their lives around it. And all you want to do is sing songs and come to the temple. Yet my people have exchanged their glory for useless idols. Now, the glory of Israel or the beauty of Israel, God's people, is that God chose these people. He already called them the first fruits, right? Like there was a whole world and God picked out this pocket of people and he said, this is mine, I want them. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. And, and they are so wrapped up even today, right, in that identity that it's, it's grounded in God that there are Jewish people that are atheists, but they still do all the religious things. They, they still like, go to synagogue. They don't believe in God, but being a Jew is to be identified with God. Like when you read the Old Testament when they're coming through to the promised land, some of those people are like, oh, you better not mess with them. Those are God's people, the living God, right? Like they got the little gopher and they're like, mm, my gopher, he can't go up against that God. So I'm just going to stay over here and let him pass. They were identified by their relationship with this God and he says they've exchanged that this thing that made them different from like the whole world they've exchanged that for sticks and rocks they cannot hear and cannot act this is what's happening and then he says this in 12 be horrified at this heavens be shocked and utterly appalled which is just another word that means horrified this is the Lord's declaration. This is what God says about this activity. He says, man, even the stars should be horrified at this. These inanimate objects, right? The, you don't think of them as having emotions. And he's like, man, this is horrible. 
I have been their God and they were supposed to be my people, yet they have left me to follow these, these worthless idols. And we hear that, and I know like most of us are like, okay, well, where are you, where are you going with that? This is where I'm going with that. What does that mean to me? What what does it have to do with me? Well, like this letter could just be like written to the church today, right? I mean, if we're honest, don't we all either know somebody or if we are honest are the people that like will do anything in place of following and, and looking for God, Right? Like, remember, this is not a letter written to just the people out there. This is a letter written to religious people, the people of God. And, you know, you, you transpose that today. We're the people of God, and we're a religious people. We are actually professional religious people. We are so good at religion that God doesn't even have to show up. We could just walk in a building, we can get out the instruments, and we can sing some songs. It doesn't really matter what the songs are. I've seen people with their hands up to all kinds of different songs, right? And we can worship, and we can do the thing, and then somebody can get up and talk, and it doesn't have to have anything to do with God, and we'll be like, man, that's so good, that's so true. We got the goosebumps, that was great. And then we'll say something, and then we'll get out of here. Like, we are professional religious people. We, we know the formula. We know how to do the thing. We know all the words, right? You walk up to somebody, they've not been to church since they were three years old, and you're like, hey, um, do you know Jesus? Oh, yeah, I'm saved, whatever that means, right? Like, we, we know the lingo, we know the stuff, we know how to do all the things. We, we know where the songs are, we know where the books are, we, we maybe even have memorized, like, all the, all the, at least where the books are in the Bible. We're professional religious people, but God doesn't look at, like, our religion, does he? He looks beyond that to our heart. And see, the reality of it is, I can't see hearts, and you can't see hearts, but we can see actions. And some actions even scare me, but like imagine if, if, if you were God and you could peer into people. Because this is what he's doing, right? Speaking to Jerusalem, capital city of God, religious people all around. We're bringing the goats in, we're singing the songs, we're saying the prayers, but we have wrapped our lives around something else. All of our trust and our hope is in something other than God. And you just trade out Israel with the church, and it still works, doesn't it? It's like it's still a valid story. We could just rip this page out. I'm not going to do that. I like this Bible. We could just rip that out and like flip over here to like Romans and just plug that in, and there we go. Because the problem, like, I have grew up in the church, 32 years in the church, and I've, I've missed a whole lot of days, and I'm not saying that, like, for a pat on the back. I didn't always want to go to church. I just had a mom that loved me enough. She made me go to church. And, um, and, and really, like, I'll be honest, if, if she didn't do that then, I probably wouldn't be here now because I would have been sitting at home watching TV because, see, right now, then she had the power to make me go, and right now I have the power to make my own decision. If Jesus didn't get a hold of my heart then, I wouldn't be here now. Because I'm not, I'm not just going to come because it makes other people feel good. I'm not that kind of person. But I've grown up in church for like 32 years, and I've, I've been to church after church after church after church, and every church has problems because every church has people, but you drill down to the core of that, and really what it is is there's a lot of people who have like a form of godliness. Right? Second Timothy, I think, says that. There's a form of godliness, but like in them, there's no hunger for God. 
What that means, let me translate for you, is they know what to wear to church and they know how to go to church. But their heart is just all jacked up. We like fast forward a little bit to the New Testament and what does Jesus say about people like this, these Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees? Oh yeah, on the outside you look great, you're whitewashed tombs, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. And you look at the church and like, aren't we just the new Pharisees? Like, see, this, this will work anywhere. This chapter 2, you could pull it out and you could put it in any place in the Bible. It always works because here's the thing. A lot of people want to grab onto religion. A lot of people do not want to grab onto God. Right. What do you mean by that? I mean, like, if we stripped away church, like, you can't go to church anymore. Do you have a relationship with God? If the answer is no, do you actually have a relationship with God? If we stripped away Caleb, like we just take that out. What's your relationship with God look like? If we stripped away like your 42 Christian phrases that you use every time somebody confronts you about something, right? Like you're this book of like, God is good all the time, right? Like that's your, you don't know anything about the Bible, but you know those 42 sayings. We pull that out like, What's your relationship with God like? And if, and if, and if, 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 we, can't re, if we can't base our relationship with God on those things, then, then what is it? Here's what it is. I've decided to trust God. I've decided to step into the power of God and come under the power of God. What's that mean? God's in charge of my life. I've wrapped my life around God. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Not Sunday and Wednesday or whatever your days are, but like every day. I've either founded my life on God, right? Like Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the piece that holds everything together and our lives are built on that or he's not. Jesus is not an add-on or a tack-on, right? Like he's not the little umbrella in your drink. Like that's not Jesus. He's either the foundation point of your life or you don't have Jesus or you probably don't. You can sort that out with God later if you care enough to. I'm just saying like, this letter could be written to us today. And you're like, well, we don't have idols. Don't we have idols? Like, we, we probably have more idols today than they ever thought about having because their idols were confined to, like, here's this little gold bull, and we're going to come, we're going to bring fruit to the gold bull today. But, like, we have houses and lives and families and workplaces and bank accounts full of idols, don't we? See, anything we trust in before God is, is an idol, Right? Like anything we put in the place of God or before God, that's, that's an idol. And let me just give you an example because this, this is the one that just, it'll make it pop for you probably because it did for me. Say you got seven days in a week. It's a pretty safe bet for most of us. Most Christians go to, say you went to church, what? Like, um, let's be generous, two hours Sunday morning, you go back Sunday night, we, we don't do that, but I mean, you know, some churches do. Two more hours that night, and then Wednesday night, you got, you got two more hours. What if you went to a Bible study? You got two more hours, right? Like two, four, eight hours. There's 24 hours in a day. You spent eight hours this week with God. Is your life wrapped around God? No, and you go to church like every time the doors open, Right? You listen to Caleb in your car when you're not texting. Don't tell anybody we do that. Or you're not on the phone. Um, so we go from eight to what? We're in the car 
maybe you drive a long way to work, an hour both ways. So, what, five days of that? Ten, yeah, I'm good at math, you can tell. So now we're like up to, what, 18 hours? There's 24 hours in one day. You've not even hit one day. And, man, I'm so about God, I'm so religious. Like, we look at people like that, and we're like, man, you got it all together. You said God is good all the time, and you pray before you ate. And all my life is founded on God. Is it? Is it? Because here's, here's what we see a lot of times. God's always the first one to get his time cut, right? We give him 18 hours, and we're busy, so... Let me chop some of that off. Let me chop some of that off. Let me chop some of that off. Why don't you chop off somebody else's time? Oh, I got to work all the time. Well, then you're God's money. You can be poor. I don't want to be, and I trust God not to be. But there are people that are super happy and poor. Jesus was one of them. Right? Because, Because isn't that what we do? Like, we get busy, and we're like, oh, I can't spend time with God today. If you had time to watch TV, you're not too busy for God. It's just reality, right? You just chose the wrong thing to be your God that day. Oh, we got to have family time. Sorry. You chose your family over God. Some of you are okay with that. Your family is your God. That's your idol. We've identified it. Right? Like, isn't that what we do? You got time to go to the ball game, but you don't have time to spend with God. You got time to be on your phone, be on Facebook, light it up. But I don't have Facebook, by the way. But you don't have time to be with God. I got other things to spend time on my phone on, like the Simpsons. <laughs> Playing it for four years, it's weird. But isn't that what we do? Because our excuse is always, what is it? I'm, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Well, what are we saying? I'm too busy for God. Be shocked at this, O oh heavens. Be utterly horrified. Because God's people have become too busy for God. Oh, he's my hope and I'm going to heaven. I don't want to go anytime soon because I got stuff to do. What's that translated to? I just don't want to burn forever. Be shocked at this, O oh heavens. Be utterly horrified. See, God's not called us like to come to church, right? I, I do believe this. Like, if, if you love God, you, you will find a way to be with God, with God's people. I do believe that. I just believe that. Oh, God, he's not called us to sing songs. I, I do believe, like, if, if you love God, you'll find time to acknowledge his greatness in, in song and in uh, many other ways. Worship is like part of what we do when we love God. But I also believe, and this is the thing that like most of us right here, we're going to stomp down on. If you love God, you'll find a way to know about that God. I don't have time to read his word. That's weird to me. Now, I'm not saying I read every day. I text John this week and I've been like, I've been slacking, brother. Um, Because some days I'm tired. But but let's be honest, what, what is that? I had time to do everything else, and at the end of the day, when I'd give everything else to everybody else, I was like, I'm too tired for you, God. 
So I'm not saying sleep was my idol. Maybe it was, but something was, right? Whether that be work or talking to somebody or playing on the phone or watching TV. Like, I had time for all those things, and then I cut God's time. And we're like, well, that's not an idol. Yes, it is. Anything you put before God is an idol. So anything really can be an idol if it comes before God. You are your own God if you come before God. What are you going to do to save yourself? Your TV is your God, right? If it comes before God. What's it going to do to save you? Your bank account is your God if it comes before God. What's it going to do to save you? What does, what does Jesus say about money? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy because your car is going to get old and your money's going to rot and you're going to rot if your money doesn't rot and they're going to put you in a hole because money can't buy more days. Don't make money your God. That's the lesson. Some of you make people or relationships your God. You got time to be on this thing or do this thing or be around this person or talk to this person. And you're like, I don't have time for God today. That's your God. That's your God. And you're following your God. And you're going to see where that takes you. If you don't correct course. And this is what Jeremiah is saying to these people. And, and we look at it and we're like, well, we don't, we don't have rocks and bulls. We don't have all that stuff. And it's like, Man, what if Jeremiah spoke today? He probably wouldn't use words like Baal. He would say Benjamins, right? It's a $100 bill, by the way. If you've never seen one, he's on there. Um, and what's he say about that? To a religious people, the people that say they're the people of God, who do all the sacrifices and do all the serving, who pray and sing and read. What's he say to that? Be shocked, O heavens. Be utterly appalled. Be horrified. Because they have exchanged the living God for worthless idols, and they've become worthless themselves. I do not want to be a worthless church. But beyond that, I don't want to be a worthless Christian. But this is the risk we run when God is second or third or fourth or fifth down the list. And God's saying to these people, correct course correct course 13 for my people have committed a double evil and this is the heart of everything we just read there's like a little colon here and what that means is he's about to explain this double evil the things above are symptoms of the double evil this is the double evil I'm too busy is just a symptom of the actual evil. This is what God calls evil. Not eating an apple, not watching TV, not having money, not being tired. God doesn't call that evil. This is what God calls evil. 
they have abandoned me. They abandoned me. I called them out. I brought them out, rescued them from slavery, brought them into the promised land. I led them, uh, uh, protected them, took care of them. I provided for them, and they abandoned me. Why do we do that? Because we don't trust. They abandoned me. And then he says this, the fountain of living water. Not just living water, but like a fountain of living water. The source is what he's saying. They've abandoned me, the source. And then, look at this, it goes beyond that. They dug cisterns for themselves. Now a cistern is a big holding tank for water. Cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. This is the double evil. There's two statements here. One, we abandoned God, left him. He's writing this to a religious people that come to church and sing the songs and have the Bibles and probably have 72 translations. Like this is the people. Have it on their cell phone. Don't ever open it, but got it. This is the people. He says, they left me. I was the source of living water and they left me. What they said was I wasn't good enough. They devalued God. They chose something else. And then what they did on top of that when they left me is they dug a hole that thought it could hold water and it can't hold water. They've exchanged me for a useless cistern. They've, they've taken this living water and exchanged it for a hole in the ground. You hear it? They've exchanged life for death. I offered them something good and they took empty, dead things and put it in my place. This is what God calls evil. See, in reality, we, we know, like, head knowledge. We, I, don't, I don't know that we pursue God like this, but we know, like, he's valuable. And not only is he valuable, he's, like, the most valuable thing in the universe. How do you know that? Because he breathed the whole universe. That's like looking at a, a pot and being like, it's worth more than the guy who made it, right? Isn't that dumb? There would have never been a pot if there had not been a potter. And he can make a million more. There's no way that's worth more than what's in this guy. Okay, God breathed the universe and everything in it. And we're like, oh, gold. This guy breathes gold. That's why he paves streets with it in heaven, because we're going to walk on it, because it's not valuable. You know, we're going to be surrounded by people we love in heaven, and I don't know that any of us that actually get there are going to care. Oh, hey, <laughs> Jesus. You see him? That's awesome. Uh, bye. I'm going to go over here. By the way, I'll see you in a minute. I'm going to go closer to Jesus. Because he's supremely valuable. He's like the only one worth living for. And we're like, but I'm just so tired. I'm so busy. I've been doing these things. Why? Are they more valuable than God? Are they going to get you farther than God will get you? But, uh, but I've gotta, I got to be a good whatever. Yeah, you do. After you've given God what's his. If God picked you as the first fruits, man, shouldn't you pick God also back as the first fruits? We, he chose us, shouldn't we choose him? See, in reality, it all stems from a problem, and the problem is we are just not impressed with God anymore. 
We've seen too much, maybe. We've been too many places, maybe. We've been surrounded by too, too much other things, and we think these things are the things, and in reality, God is the thing. Nothing existed before God. Everything was made for God and through God, including us. Isn't it fitting that their idols were like a bull? The things that should be sacrificed to God are the things that for some reason we choose to worship. Mm. I don't have time for you, God, but I got time for TV. What if we said, God, I don't need that. I should sacrifice that to you because what I really want is you. I don't hear that I want you to take your family out in the backyard in a second. But shouldn't we offer our families to God, not worship our families? God will take care of your family. He's a good and loving father. That's what he's going to do. Quit worshiping your family. Sacrifice your family to God. God, I believe you'll take care of it. Maybe we should sacrifice our bank account to God. We did buy a bill. I'm just kidding. Um, but what if we just said, God, you know what? I trust you. So if it gets between me and you, I, I don't need overtime. I don't need the extra day. I don't need the whatever. I, I don't even need the dang job because you'll give me what I need. And if you give me one job, you can give me another job. It'll probably be better because I put it on the altar. And what's he say? And test me in this way. Bring it all in and see if I won't open the, the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that you can't even comprehend. We spend so much time worshiping the things we should just offer up to God and they are ruining our lives and making us live worthless and empty and, and hopeless lives. Because we're chasing and, and, and living around things that cannot fulfill us. When God said, why don't you just come back to the source and plant your roots down next to the stream of living water and you just see what I'll do. You just test me in this way. Come back to the source. Don't you love that about God? What, what if he would have just stopped it? Ah, you guys suck. Babylonians are coming. He didn't say that, does he? He says, come back to me. I'm not here just to point out your wound, dummy. I'm here to say you're wounded and you need a healer. I'm here to say you are broken and you need a binder. You are shattered and you need somebody to come and just to bandage all that up until you heal. That is what I'm here for. Test me in this way. Bring it all in. Quit worshiping those other things and put those things down at my feet and you see what I'll do with those things. You bring your family in here. And you see what I'll do with your family. You bring your money in here. And you see what I'll do with your bank account. You, you bring that in here. And you see if you won't be happier and more fulfilled if you come and lay it at the feet of Jesus. Come and cast it all at his feet because he cares for you, is what he's saying. Come back to the source. I love that about God. We've messed up, haven't we? We've left him. This, this page, we could just rip it out and put it over here in our story, can't we? We've picked other things but God. And what God's saying to us this morning is not dummies. You screwed it up. He's saying, come back. You lost course. Let's, let's, let's turn around and come back.
want you. I chose you. It's still true today, and you can come back. I don't care how far you are, you can come back. 